Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, this morning I just want to share a quick thought before we break bread together and uh, we're going to be taking communion in just a little while. But before we get into that, I just want to start with a, a story of something that happened to me when I was 17 years of age. 17 years of age. Some of you are yet to be 17. Some of you are sitting right on that age. And for some of you, like Pastor Danny, it's a distant memory. But <laughs> I'm, not far, yeah, I'm not far behind you. It's kind of like, but I do, I do remember this one occasion because I, I asked, I, I said to my mum, I didn't even ask her, I just told her. I went to her full of confidence. I said, hey mum, I'm going to buy a motorbike. I should never have said that to mum. And, and you know what she said? She said these words, over my dead body, over my dead body. Maybe some of you have heard that phrase before. Maybe some of you here today have said that phrase before. But basically it's a phrase that means you'll do anything within your power to prevent something from happening. That's what it means. Essentially, that's what Easter is all about. It's Jesus willing to lay down His life to help a broken, hurting world. And when faced with the reality of people being forever separated from God and facing a hopeless, godless eternity, Jesus said, over my dead body. That's what Easter is all about. And to prevent that happening, Jesus had to die. That's why Jesus came to planet Earth. He was born as a babe in a manger. That's the story we celebrate at Christmas. But He lived some 30 years and the whole time He was alive, He knew His purpose was to die. And He spoke about it many times. In Matthew chapter 16, on one occasion, He said not only that He had to die, but He used these strong words. He said, I must die. And must is a very strong word. And it's hard to understand. It was hard to comprehend for the disciples. And so Peter, he spoke up. And you can read this in Matthew chapter 16. He began to rebuke Jesus. He said, how dare you say you're gonna die? You see, Jewish culture was taught that a Messiah was coming. And Peter had just been affirmed by Jesus himself that Jesus himself was the Messiah. And Jesus affirmed the affirmation and the confirmation that Peter said, you are the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And if that is true, why is all this talk about dying? And Peter did not understand and he began to rebuke Jesus. Now, again, I don't know about you, but uh, I can understand why that was hard to comprehend. And maybe some of you have come today and you find it hard to comprehend why Jesus had to die. Just like the early disciples, we find that hard. And if that is you, that's okay. And in the short time that I have this morning, I wanna try my best to bring some understanding this morning to the death, burial and ultimate resurrection of Jesus. You see, Jesus lived for about 30 years and then He entered His public ministry. And it's about three years that Jesus walked and talked the earth and did signs and wonders and declared the good news of God. And on the Thursday night, 
that we know as the Last Supper, he sat down for a meal. And it was there that Judas stood up, left and betrayed and sold for the sake of 30 pieces of silver, information about Jesus so that the soldiers could come and arrest Him. Jesus stands up with the remaining disciples and they go to the place where they often went, the place where they would pray, the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus was under immense pressure in that moment because He knew the moment had come. And He asked His disciples to sit and pray while He went away and had it out with the Father. And, and, and the Bible records that He was sweating droplets of blood. Such was the immensity of the pressure that He was facing. And He said, Father, if this cup can be removed from me, let it be. Yet not my will, but Yours be done. This is the act of surrender. This is the act of humility. And He surrendered His will to the will of the Father. He came back to His disciples who had asked to stay awake and pray, but they couldn't even stay awake. And it was at that moment, a squadron of soldiers came to arrest Jesus. And at the front of that squadron of soldiers was the betrayer, Judas himself. And Judas had arranged a signal that the one you are to arrest, I will give a kiss, which kind of says how normal Jesus was. He didn't have a halo. He didn't have bright white clothes. He didn't hover or levitate everywhere. He was a normal human being. And in order for the soldiers to know which one that they had to arrest, they arranged a signal. And the Son of Man was betrayed with a kiss. And so Judas kissed Him. Peter was indignant. Peter pulls out his sword and begins just swiping. And thankfully, he missed the head and only got the ear of a particular person. And Jesus, ever being the carer of people, picks up the ear and says, ear, ear. No, he doesn't. He puts... <laughs> he places the ear back on this servant's head and in miracle of miracles, he's healed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The soldiers are so in awe of this moment. It says they fell backward, they fell down. And Jesus had to remind them why they were there. They said, well, why are you here? And they said, we're here to arrest Jesus. And he says, I am the one. And so he goes willingly with them. And in that time, he faces four trials, all illegitimate trials. And they release a murderer. They release a criminal so that Jesus can be not only arrested, but incriminated and sentenced to death in the most horrific way possible. Death by crucifixion. But before He was crucified, they punched Him. They beat Him. They mocked Him. Because of His claims to be a king, they made a crown of thorns and they placed it on His head and they beat that on His head. And they mocked His claims about being a king. And they say, you who say you're a king, prophesy who beat you, prophesy who hit you. And he remained silent. They put a cloak upon him again to mock his claims to be a king. And you can only imagine when that cloak, uh, cloak had been on the bare back of Jesus that had been beaten and lacerated, when they pulled that off, it would have done further damage to his skin. And then in this weakened state, and this beating that Jesus received often killed people right there and then. But Jesus has to muster up some strength to carry His own cross. 
And he carries his cross, weighing about 150 pounds along the Via Della Rosa for some 600 metres. He's so weak, he falls, he faints. And a man called Simon out of the crowd is asked to help Jesus carry the cross. He's brought to the place where he's about to be crucified. He's nailed to this cross. And there he's crucified in between two other criminals. And it was on the cross that he made a number of profound statements. And I wanna look at one of those this morning. And you can read along in your Bibles on one of your devices there or on the screens. And it's found in John chapter 19. John chapter 19 verse 28 says this, Later, knowing everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked it on a sponge and put it on the sponge and a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, here it is, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. These three words change the course of human history. It's a phrase that means paid in full. It is a term used by servants when reporting back to their master. When a servant was given a job, they'd report back to their master and say, it is finished. The job you've given me to do, it is finished. It was a term that merchants used when they, their debt was paid in full. It was a term that criminals used when they'd served their sentence. When they'd finished their sentence, they could say, my sentence has been paid in full. It's a term that you and I may use today when we make the last payment of our mortgage. And we achieve the great Australian dream. And we say, my debt has been paid in full. That's some of the things it meant to us. But what did it mean for Jesus? This morning, I wanna look at three things very quickly of what that statement meant for Him. And the first one is simply this. It meant that Jesus passed the test. And this is good news. It speaks of, an accomplished mission. See, he was tempted and tested in every way, just as you and I are, yet was without sin, which made him a worthy sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and get this, yet he did not sin. You think about your toughest day. Jesus experienced your toughest day. You think about how you responded on your toughest day. Well, Jesus responded differently. He never sinned. He never wavered. He never faltered. Even when He hung on the cross, He said these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that mind-blowing. Jesus had been beaten within an inch of His life. He has to carry His cross. He faints, He gets nailed to a cross and with His hands stretched out, He looks at these people who have beaten Him, who have battered Him, who have condemned Him, who have crucified Him. And He says, Father, forgive them. And as if that wasn't enough, 
There were people on the, at the cross mocking, jeering, spitting on Him, saying, you who say you can save others, why didn't you come off the cross and save yourself? And here's the thing, He could have done that. But if Jesus had saved Himself, He wouldn't have been able to save you or me. And so He stayed there and He endured the pain, the blame and the shame of that moment. That's incredible. Tempted and tested in every way as we are. And not only that, here's the kicker. Those that He was closest to, those that He spent three and a half years with, abandoned Him. One disciple betrayed Him. One disciple disowned Him. And all the rest, they deserted Him. And so Jesus is literally all alone. And what does He say? How does He respond? Forgive them. Have you ever felt alone? Jesus felt alone. Have you ever been betrayed? Jesus was betrayed. Have you ever been denied? Jesus was denied. But His response was like no other. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. On another occasion on the cross, He looks down and He sees His dear mother, Mary, who was a widower. Joseph was no longer on the scene. And Jesus, ever the carer of people, He looks at His mum. And standing next to His mum is one of His disciples, John. And wanting to make sure that His mum is cared for, He looks to John and says, take care of her. Tempted and tested in every way we have been exponentially more and yet he never sinned and he asks John please can you look after her you think at that moment Jesus could afford to be selfish and look after his own needs but he's still caring for the needs of others you see he not only passed the test but he also paid the price. He paid the price, which speaks of atonement. He passed a test which made him a worthy sacrifice to pay the price. See, the Bible says it this way, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard. You know, this is where we as human beings tend to go wrong. We think we're doing okay because we compare ourselves to someone else who's doing worse than us. And so we say, I'm okay because at least I'm not as bad as them. The trouble is the Bible doesn't say we should compare ourselves with one another. It says we all fall short of God's holy, perfect standard. In other words, and I want to say this in the most loving way, we're all as bad as each other. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. We've all missed the mark. Let's be honest. We not only let God down, we let ourselves down. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of His glory. And the wages of our sin is death. And so there was a death penalty over our lives. And God is too good a God just to let that sin go unpunished. Yes, He loves us, but He hates sin. And He devised a plan in order to deal with the sin while continuing to love His people. And that's why I am so grateful for Good Friday, that He paid a price that I should have paid, but couldn't pay. And He stepped in the gap. 
And on the ninth hour that he was on the cross, it went dark for three hours. It went dark. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that moment emphasises the humanity of Christ. He laid aside His deity, He picked up His humanity and in His humanity, He not only felt forsaken, He was forsaken. The Father, for the first time in eternity, turned His back on His Son and Jesus was well and truly all alone. And the full wrath of God's judgment for all of our sin was poured out on Him on the cross at that moment. Romans 4, 25 says it this way, He was delivered over to death for our sins and He was raised to life for our justification. You see, the cross is not so much about the death of Jesus. It's about the death of death. Jesus dealt with death once and for all. Romans 6 verse 23 says it this way, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that beautiful? This is the good news. This is what makes Good Friday Good Friday. But know this, it wasn't good for Jesus. But what was accomplished has become good for us. You see, he not only passed the test and paid the price, but he also paved the way, which speaks to us of acceptance. He paved the way. Jesus, as I've already mentioned, was crucified with two thieves, one to his right, one to his left. One said, why don't you get us off the cross and miss the moment? The other said, remember me. Remember me. And to that one, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is why Jesus came, to pave a way for us to be with God. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. All the religions are trying to get to God through their own good works. Christianity will have none of that. Christianity is about God coming to us. Religion is about us trying to get to God. Christianity is about God coming to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says it this way, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace with which we now stand. This is a beautiful thought. This is a beautiful moment. And it's worthy of some reflection. I don't know right now why you're here this morning. Maybe you've come because you love Jesus and are appreciative as I am of all that He's done. Maybe you came because you just were invited. Maybe you came because you just liked somebody and were hoping to get their good graces. Maybe you've come cynical, sceptical, Maybe you've come hurt. Maybe you've come a little bit unsure. I don't know why you're here, but what I do know is it doesn't really matter. What I do know is that you are not here by accident. What I do know is 
that you are known and loved by God. And what Jesus Christ did on the cross some 2,000 years ago didn't just have an implication for the disciples there and then, although they received the benefit of it. But it was an act of love that we can live in the benefit of today. I don't know about you, but you have to ask the question, what would possess Jesus to do what He did, to endure such pain? And the answer to that question is simple, that He's madly and passionately in love with the world. He's madly and passionately in love with you. And He desires to do life with you. And so He's created a pathway. He's created an opportunity for us to live forever with God through the act that took place on the cross some 2,000 years ago. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 